Hey everyone, welcome to Neighbor Science, the only non-bootlicking podcast about political economy or anime. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah, uh, the only non-bootlicking podcast about political economy and the only non-bootlicking podcast about anime. <laughs> sure, yeah. Uh, we're taking both titles. <laughs> uh, Hanging on uh, So today uh, we are talking about uh, a rather bootlicking anime and using that to segue into a <laughs> non-bootlicking discussion of uh eco-communist utopia uh so mm-hmm. first of all i just want to get out of the way uh this whole thing that's happening on dr stone so currently in the show uh senku is um putting together the technology to make uh sulfa drugs which mm-hmm. are like a uh, early industrial uh like chemical medication uh it's an antibiotic used to cure a wide variety of illnesses uh, mm-hmm. But there's one thing in particular that really rubbed me the wrong way, where uh, he was talking about like the you know futuristic civilization that was left behind when everything reverted to you know the Anprim utopia of the show, and it like makes it extremely explicit that he is talking about statist fossil fuel technologies because everything that he is imagining when mm-hmm. he's talking about this is uh oil refineries, chemical plants and all that kind of shit. So he, he's saying like specifically like I want to bring back the exact civilization that we had before everything went back to the eco utopia that we're in right now where oh, no. People don't seem to have that many problems comparatively (laughs) to what was going on before everything went to be like that. There's like, he's in this village that he's like trying to radicalize into his Uh uh, pro-statist, pro-civilization ideology. Uh And their biggest problem is like uh, the like princess type person in this village of like 30 people. Uh, uh-huh. she has an illness and so, uh, she's going to die before she becomes like a, you know, matriarch of the village or whatever. Uh, hence why he's making these sulfa drugs and, and some people have blurry vision, which like only affects their ability to do like ceremonial one-to-one combat with <laughs> other people to take the throne of the village. That so is fascinating. Like, uh, <laughs> wow, uh, those are really bad problems. We should bring back the, you know, massive widespread like war and genocide yeah, right. that was happening right before everything went to like, <laughs> this. <laughs> right. Yeah, that, that uh, seems right. That seems like a good idea. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, like... We don't even have to think about it. It's just obvious, just so obviously a good idea uh, to bring back oil, you know, uh, because, uh, you know, there was this ecological disaster that happened to destroy civilization. And by ecological disaster, I mean uh, (laughs) the ecosystem is thriving and that's a disaster. (laughs) (laughs) Right. This this can't be uh, allowed to go on. (laughs) Yeah. If if we don't have civilization, uh, how will we cure all the illnesses caused by civilization with uh, drugs produced by civilization? But you didn't think about that. <laughs> how will uh. how will nearsighted people be able to uh, read spreadsheets to do their job? 
in your uh you know your anthropia <laughs> I, I i just can't even imagine well unfortunately i can't imagine actually i know enough people that would probably go this way i'm just thinking about like you know what kind of person would like be faced with like this this sort of post-civ you know ecotopia and then be yeah. like no we have to go back or like we have to like do the other thing you know like like that's that's the pinnacle of human achievement and it represents like sort of a human triumph over the world and like oh god <laughs> trash can of ideology and all that my my favorite argument though is like uh you know uh tsukasa might be you know he, he might have his heart in the right place but like i can't support mass murder so let's support the guy who wants to bring back modern civilization yeah. <laughs> damn it <laughs> no better way to oppose mass murder than bringing back oil and the state <laughs> <What the fuck>? <laughs> <laughs> um so uh we have decided today to talk about uh you know something we don't really touch on very much at all which is uh what what would our eco-communist utopia look like? You know, we're mm-hmm. we're both utopians. Every single person that has ever been on our show is a utopian who has Googled Murray Bookchin and, uh, you know, agrees with us on everything. So uh, just so you know, uh, all of our views are fully endorsed by every past guest, uh, <laughs> including the ones <laughs> we're about to express today. So <laughs> totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so... <laughs> We are going to talk about uh, what our eco-communist utopia would look like. Um, so, I mean, obviously, we can only speculate what it would look like, but uh, mm-hmm. let's go ahead and do that because it's fun and cool to imagine things, you know? Yeah, I liked it. I like this idea. Uh, so, the the first thing I wanted to start with was food because that's one of the most important things about our daily life, uh, mm-hmm. you know? Right behind, uh, you know, air and water, am I right? (laughs) Mondays, huh? (laughs) (laughs) I love pizza. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, we want to know, you know, in in the eco-communist utopia, how do we get epic bacon? Um, That's that's the most pressing issue. Yeah. Uh, So, for me... I want to start with the site of production. So let's start with agriculture, the original source of production for food, uh, which I I think if it's going to survive, it's going to more resemble like pastoralism and forestry than Mm -hmm. modern agriculture does because Mm -hmm. modern agriculture, of course, uh, is what's called monoculture where they take an entire plot of land and they just kill everything except for the one thing that you want to grow. Mm-hmm. And in order to make sure that only that thing grows, mm-hmm. you spray it with deadly chemicals that kill all uh, bugs and uh, fungus and weeds uh, and just everything, you know. And ideally for uh, Senku's civilization, you know, the corn that you're growing in your field you can just spray it with poison and it's immune to poison and everything around it just, just dies. Uh, <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, that, that poison is supposedly okay for human consumption. Uh, you know, we haven't, uh, 
we, we don't have a whole lot of data on that, but uh, <laughs> rest assured, you are not being poisoned by your food. Uh, so for, you know, eco-communist uh, food production, mm. everything will be more like, you know, the, the food forest, the, the permaculture farm where, uh, you know, everything is an ecosystem, including your food. So you may be growing multiple food crops. You may be growing a food crop with a bunch of non-food crops. Um, They will be doing what's called management intensive grazing, which is where uh, animals that eat, you know, mostly non-food crops, Mm -hmm. like fodder crops, Mm -hmm. uh, they, they graze on the things that you don't want. And then they uh, poop out free fertilizer for you to put on the stuff that you do want, Mm -hmm. uh, which just grows in place. And, um, and then you just, you know, harvest it and, uh, everything's great. Uh, food production sites should be like vibrant lands teeming with trees and shrubs and vines and grasses and mammals and birds and insects and fungi and yeasts and so on. Everything should be there because everything is important, uh, to the process of life thriving, which is what food is, you know, it's life. So, yes, we eat life. And yeah. that's really the most difficult, but also the most magical part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. Like, uh, I mean, we could get into like what the uh, James C. Scott, right? Is that's that's his initial, mm-hmm. you know, like against the grain and all that shit about you know, and and of course other other, other critics of like uh, the state and, and civilization, you know, um. About yeah, like we will how... not be growing grains because they are statist. We will only be growing potatoes and other tubers and, and vegetables. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We will we'll basically just like be eating like yeah, like dirt babies. Yeah, um, yeah. If you want rice in our utopia, fuck off. <laughs> yeah, fuck right off. I don't give a fuck how good. You may as well join good. the fascists now. Yeah, right. <laughs> Sushi's out. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like the you know the the, the whole concept of like um certain crops being favored by the state because of quantification and like yeah. quantification being like a kind of um what's what's that fucking term um kind of like a macguffin uh i guess is one of the sort of pop culture terms for like a like an all-powerful tool um, oh yeah mm-hmm. yeah like a magical all-powerful tool and like quantification is like the state's crack which is yes. why capitalism is so uh durable is because capitalism is just like the apotheosis of a particular type of statism um, or like state uh, yeah, capitalism is the, most, is the most rational yeah. type of state. Right, I don't right. mean it's that in like, terms of like, it's the most good idea. I mean, mm-hmm. like literally in terms of like what rationalism, which is like a philosophy where, yeah. uh, you know, ratios of numbers are like govern the laws of the universe. Yep. And if yep. you can, discover the perfect ratios then you can achieve perfection uh yeah. through you know technical management it's like a i think it's like a 18th century philosophy but it yeah, pervades yeah, it pervades our society idea. completely mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah and yeah like uh yeah the thing with like grains being statist is like uh basically uh they they all mature at the same time Mm-hmm. Um, they are accountable and measurable, uh, and they can be easily s- stolen, which is like one of the biggest things. So like if you're growing a bunch of potatoes, they, they all mature at different times. Uh, they're stuck in the ground. So you, uh, they take 
quite a bit of work to harvest them. You actually them. get them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Find them, dig them up. Yeah. But if you're growing grains, then the the state's uh, goons can mm-hmm. just come and uh, just cut them all down and uh, throw them on a cart and take them from you. Yeah, exactly. And that's the whole point of growing grains. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's funny because, um, like, uh, so this this links to this kind of, like, I don't know exactly. I'll just call it one of my crackpot theories, right? But uh, and I kind of colorfully called it my um, my first chariot hypothesis, which is that like essentially like the the first group uh, to invent something like a chariot or something that had that kind of mobility uh, and like war power, you know, um, was probably like. They basically were like the 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 original like vector for like state violence because they could roll up quickly and like do exactly what you just described yeah. to like an agrarian community. So then they realized like oh all we have to do is like cart over like threaten and or kill some people you know threaten hurt or kill and then just take their shit and run off you know and then they realized they could do that and manage it like over time you know right. so they weren't just they were just thieves or raiders anymore they were they were it was big business it was mafia shit you know um and so that was kind of like that was my hypothesis i'm sure somebody else has actually fleshed out a dissertation about this kind of thing but like it was something that i was like just fiddling with in in grad school uh before i went yeah off. i know the earliest uh, evidence of an unequal society is mm-hmm. uh, like a, a fishing village where certain fishing spots uh, had much better yields than others. Okay, and so the people Which that claimed sense. the good fishing spots, uh, they were able to stockpile food mm-hmm. and uh, provide it to people who were going through hard times, who then oh, obviously right, right, were right. like in their debt. Yeah, and could create leverage. Yeah, be manipulated by them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And they're like, "Oh, you can give um, me other things. You can give me your daughters or your sons or your fucking other goods." And <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so for the next stage of production, which is, uh, I'll just skip ahead to you know cooking the food. Um. One of the main community features that I've long envisioned for an eco-communist utopia and something that could be easily, fairly easily prefigurative, I think, is a like a communal kitchen slash cafeteria mm-hmm. to replace restaurants. Yep. So like basically it would it would resemble a restaurant, except there wouldn't be far less of a divide between the kitchen, the front of house and the back of house. Yep. And exactly. The kitchen would be a public place, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so anyone would be encouraged to go into the kitchen and prepare food, mm-hmm. uh, help with the preparation process, you know, help help clean up or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, ideally, uh, you know, in a given uh, community, you would have enough people there where you know some people love cooking. I, I right. like cooking sometimes. Yeah. The main thing that sucks about it is. I have to work 40 hours a week. Right, exactly. And, uh, so I don't want to yeah. do more work after I'm done with that. But even <laughs> even so, like, uh, sometimes I spend a few t- hours cooking, and it's pretty fun. Yeah. And it would be yeah, a lot more same. fun if I had, like, much nicer equipment, which yeah, is another thing yeah. that would be an advantage in, like, a community kitchen. Exactly. And, and a community kitchen could, could, uh, could basically benefit from the same kind of um, – 
like uh, either the library socialism kind of idea um, or just like a kind of uh, just a, a more informal just this is this is the kitchen where all the cooking stuff is just use it and put it back you know so it's like yeah. not quite like a library because it's also the workspace um it's a restaurant library <laughs> right yeah exactly exactly and what, what i was thinking too is that um it would resemble in a lot of ways just like a lot of those really like hip um or or uh sort of sort of highly designed um um, restaurants where it's got that open format, you know, mm-hmm. although, although my brother actually works at a diner that has like an open kitchen, like the, the, the grill that, that they work on, um, is right. Like just literally behind like the, um, the fucking like display, uh, what do you call it? The, like the display bar that they put like their pastries and cakes in and then the, oh, behind yeah, the that, case. Yeah. Yeah. The pastry case and everything like that. And then they're like behind that is like, like a full bank of grills and shit that they just cook on. Um, yeah. And so, you know, it's one of those restaurants. And so it's like, it's the same fucking format, but then people could like me have, yeah, like you said, yeah, no, like, no one would tell out. you to get out if you went back there and started helping. You know? right, right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like, what would be the point, you know, and because everybody be used to using it, there'd be like a lot less risk of, of fuck ups. Um, and mm. people like more people would be familiar with how to do it. They wouldn't be just fucking helpless. Like a lot of people are now because, you know, because of our, our kind of de-skilling and our alienation. Um, yeah. And I think another important thing would be like, not only like a lack of de-skilling, but you know, people working together mm-hmm. in a community would like, that's how you create culture. Yep. And exactly. like food cultures are created by people sharing ideas about food yep. and sharing knowledge about food. And without, you know, the, uh, the the uh what's it called uh perverse incentive of mm-hmm. making money making on, money exactly yeah on From just on like a creative food, effort you yeah. have like there's no reason for you not to share your recipes there's no reason yeah. to have like a secret recipe unless yeah. you're just like a narcissistic fucking weirdo right <laughs> and want to tell people how to make delicious food <laughs> yeah well ex- exactly yeah the 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 only thing is basically pathology or mm-hmm. um fear in a in a in a profit system you know mm-hmm. um like literally existential fear <laughs> what if i want to monetize this one day <laughs> <laughs> right right um and, and I, also, I have considered yeah. not sharing recipes for that exact reason like hmm but if i start a business making my kratom tea then uh <laughs> everyone will know my recipe <laughs> yeah 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 that's yeah yeah i was gonna say also like you know it it, it would also be still totally viable uh and popular to have different um communal kitchen restaurants with different like specialties because like of course people want variety and so and like equipment is literally specialized for different varieties of food and so you're like oh well i want to go to the place that's gonna uh, be able to be able technically to make this particular kind of food so that's a different communal kitchen restaurant you know yeah um and you know you go and maybe like you, you know, go to maybe, the Ethiopian kitchen in DC, right? Ethiopian exactly. food, <laughs> exactly, exactly. And like, you know, you you say, oh, like I, I kind of want this, and maybe you're not the person who's good at that. So you, you go find them, and you say, hey, like, uh, either they're your friends, and you're so so you kind of work something out, do a little mutual aid, or or they just yeah. do it because they fucking want to, because it's awesome, because they love you, mm-hmm. 
you know, let's not forget about that. And then, or if it's somebody, somebody maybe you don't know so well, or who's out of the neighborhood, like they, they would be like, they're outside of your particular commune, you know? Yeah. Then that's when you could just be like, Hey, like we'll have some, some nice, you know, easy kind of trade agreement, whatever. Um, that, that replaces like the, the monetary transactions that we're familiar with, you know? Right. And, mm. and like, I, I want to get one uh, argument out of the way now, which uh-huh. is like, um, people wonder like, okay, well, if we're not getting paid to do stuff, right. Then like, how do we make sure it gets done? Uh, well, right. <laughs> in the case of like food, for example, yeah. uh, if you don't get it done, you will die. You will fucking die. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. you better just do it, motherfucker. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, That's the interesting thing. You, you mentioned culture and I'm glad you did because so much of what um, what a few people have actually tweeted in different forms recently is is that basically like the vast majority it's the bullshit jobs argument right the vast majority yeah. of, of quote unquote work wage work and salary work and everything else in capitalism is worthless or it is there simply to kind of bureaucratically prop up and reify and legitimize capitalist processes and yeah. structures everything else is actual material production or it is cultural production or both right yes um i mean i should say material production is cultural production but like not in the sense of like art usually but or re- sure. there's also reproduction right right exactly so then you basically just you pop you sort of deflate that whole fucking blister of of like bullshit you know, mm-hmm. and then you go all the way down to just shit that people naturally want to fucking do. And that's what you're talking about in this society. Right. Yeah. So it's like, of course, people want to fucking cook. And if they're going to cook, they're going to try to make it good. And if they're going to try to make it good, why not share? Like, it's yeah. fucking natural. And and if you want something you can't make, you'll find a way to get it. That's part of, that's like a primary component of human intelligence <laughs> like that's what we're about as a species is getting shit we can't get ourselves you know or make ourselves right yeah i mean it's one of those things where like i mean the the wages in the restaurant industry are generally like so low yeah um, especially if you're back of house and right. like Basically, like the lower the wages are for something, this doesn't apply to everything, obviously. But like the lower the wages are for something, generally, the more people just want to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. Because that's like, I mean, that's why the wages are low is because like people want to do it anyway. People would rather so do that. they'll yep. take whatever shitty like rations you give them. Yes. Um. So I, I think there's gonna be plenty of people who will want to contribute to the community kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and so the last thing I want to uh do for this is uh i mean this will apply to other stuff but mm-hmm. uh like the 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 energy sources for cooking what what are they so for right. electricity um you know there's there's solar electricity uh there's wind power um one thing about wind power that um maybe not a lot of people think about is like the wind power that we use mostly like mm-hmm. the overwhelming majority of it is like this high tech uh wind turbine with you know uh neodymium iron boron magnets with uh <laughs> doped with dysprosium so that they can run at high speeds and high heat and uh-huh. uh they have like uh all, like all these advanced materials like composite uh windmill blades 
mm-hmm. and they produce like huge amounts of electricity for like a single windmill. Mm-hmm. But there's also a much simpler technology, which is uh, just like uh, a normal, like simple turbine uh, with wooden blades and a mm-hmm. wooden stick holding it up. Yep. And those are perfectly fine and they work to generate electricity. And in a lot of cases, they're actually more efficient because uh, they don't require. Like, like those advanced windmills take a lot of energy to make. Yep. And so you need to yep. generate more energy over its lifetime to like make that worth it. Yes, exactly. Whereas like a, pe- like a couple pieces of wood, you know, you can cut those down by hand. You can cut them by hand. You can put them up by hand. Mm-hmm. And that's Easily very replaced. little energy wasted. Yep. And so you can like yep. recover a lot from it. But anyway, like yeah. for heat sources, which are like the main concern in the kitchen, we could use uh, coppiced wood, which can be turned, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you can just cut it as like yep. little sticks and feed uh-huh. it into a stove. You can uh-huh. pelletize it, uh-huh. which uh, uh-huh. makes it burn more evenly and uh, lets you like m- like automatically feed it instead of having to like shove it into a chute or whatever. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. It can also be turned into wood gas, which is a kind of a forgotten technology. Uh, mm-hmm. Like during World War II, most cars in Europe were converted to run on wood gas. So they had this little mm-hmm. reactor on them where you stick uh, wood chips inside of it. And it turns mm-hmm. the gas in uh, it turns the wood into syn gas, uh, which can then be burned by normal combustion engines. Nice. Uh, it can also be turned into alcohol using uh, reactors. Uh, you can also use solar heat, like in a solar cooker, or you can use mm-hmm. it for convection heating to heat up uh, fluids, either air or water. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some places like Iceland, there's uh, kitchens that are just hooked up straight to geothermal steam vents, and they just cook with steam. And that's actually faster than using like a gas stove. Um, so there's a lot of like really good technologies that can be used for, uh, heating food and other stuff too. Yeah. Uh, all those heat yeah. sources also apply to like housing and shit like that and industry. Uh, mm-hmm. well, not mm-hmm. so much industry cause you usually need higher heat for that. But anyway, right. uh, so the next thing, uh, let's, let's move on to travel. Uh-huh. Uh, do, do you want to start with travel? Do you have anything for that? Travel? Well, um, you know, I have, I advocate walking. But, um, yeah, yeah, you've got a good point here that we can just start with, which is um, one of the reasons that high speed travel is so essential these days is because we are forced to work full time jobs and we cannot Mm -hmm. just take time off. Um, So that like that right there is the key. And I think about it a lot because I love traveling. I grew up pretty much in a nomadic lifestyle. You know, we would settle for maybe like several months to a year or maybe two years at like a stretch. But like. Usually we were like bouncing in and out. I have literally moved over 70 times in my life at this point and I'm about to move again. So like, yeah, we're talking about like moving a lot and that takes a toll on your expenses and stuff. But also um, it means there's a lot of coordination involved because of like job issues and, and rent and all this bullshit, which just carrying all your dang stuff with you. God. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I try to pack light. Um, but, but yeah, like one of the main reasons that high speed travel, uh, which itself is kind of wasteful because you're like, you're, you're going through all this land and you don't even get to like enjoy and appreciate it. Right. So that in itself yeah. is robbing you of like so much of the magic of travel itself, the act of travel. Um, the only good know, thing about it is yeah. you can see the curvature of the earth yeah. <laughs> right. for all that the earth isn't flat. Right, right. Like, yeah, if we're talking about like air travel, yeah, definitely the curse of the earth, you know, you get like a nice skyline and like, you, oh, it's the clouds. And you're also yeah. like, oh, man, I, I hope this whole thing doesn't go down. And 
and we die screaming in like uh, three minutes, you know, um, yeah. because the engineers can't be bothered to design a plane with fucking parachutes in it. Because as was explained to me by a Boeing engineer, I knew um, it's too expensive to save lives. <laughs> oh, and your, your roommate explained it even better, which is like, uh, <laughs> if, oh, yeah. if a civilian plane goes down, then it's, it's just a tragedy. But if a military yep. plane goes down, then it's an act of war. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So like so cities, cities don't get those fucking, uh, luxuries of security. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We go through all this, we go through all this fucking, uh, fucking, bureaucracy and trauma just to get on the fucking plane these days and then if the plane oh, yeah, actually man. goes down they don't give a fuck it's just it's just a fucking that's a uh, they write it off basically you know um, it's, oh, it's no. crazy that most of our most of our friends mm-hmm. like the ones that have been on this podcast and stuff uh yep. have never experienced an airport before it was a giant police state yeah yeah oh my god <laughs> it used to be insane, so easy man. It used to be so easy. Like, my my dad was an air traffic controller, and he used to be able to just ask if they had an extra seat in the cockpit yeah, and ride yeah. for free. Yeah, that was really normal back in the day. And he would, like, uh, talk to the pilot and be like, hey, uh, can my son come talk to you? And they'd be like, yeah, sure. Yeah, and then sure, I would come up and, like, up. they would let yeah. me play with the controls, and then they would, yeah. like, they would give you, like, these little pilot wings that you could pin on yourself. and It was, like, very mm-hmm. cool. Mm-hmm. And then, uh Yeah. And, uh, oh, like, um, Brian from Street Fight pointed out one time, like, it yeah. used to be a place where, like, it was, like, one of the best place to, places to hang out if you were stoned because you could just be a shithead and, and like, nobody would care because everyone's, like, too busy just, going to their flight. <laughs> right. It's just a fancy bus terminal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, like, I mean, yeah, I, I think the point about working full-time can't be overstated because like mm-hmm. you know in the eco-communist utopia it, if you want to travel somewhere yeah uh you you go okay let's start with our current society all right if you want to travel to europe uh first of all you need the, you need the money to do that which you yeah. probably don't have right uh second uh you need to have been working at the place you're working at for long enough to accrue uh vacation time yep uh, you need to have enough vacation hours. Yep. Uh, you need to ask your boss for permission to use those vacation hours, which mm-hmm. often they can just say no. Just say no. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you need to take care of any other obligations. Uh, mm-hmm. like you still need to pay the same amount of rent, even though you're not going to be at home. Yep. Uh, you need to like shut off your mail so that your mailbox doesn't fill up. Uh-huh. Uh huh. You got to have your friends or neighbors or family take care of any pets or plants that you have. Right. Uh, you got kids, just a bunch of other spouse, shit. other family yeah. shit going on. You got to take care of all that. Yep. Yep. You got to uh, go through the police state in the airport to get onto the airplane. Which, <laughs> right, right. Oh yeah. You also have to buy a ticket to get on the airplane, uh, mm-hmm. which is a whole fucking nightmare. Thing, which yeah. involves like waiting, waiting until the right moment when the price uh-huh. is low. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. Uh. And you might you might get bumped off anyway, right? Uh, they might tell you to go on the next flight, or <laughs> you know what have you. Yeah. Um, you need to go through customs on both sides. Mm-hmm. Uh, have a passport. Mm-hmm. There's like all this border militarization. That I was going to say all, all this dumbass border shit, which shouldn't yeah. exist. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then compare that with the eco-communist utopia. So you you go to your friends and family and be like, hey, uh, I'm gonna go fuck off to Europe for like a month or so. You know, yep. just I just feel like it. 
Uh, and that, you know, that doesn't include the travel time, which is like, uh, you know, if you're in DC, uh, you would uh, go. Well, I mean, obviously DC wouldn't exist because it just needs to be leveled. But uh, <laughs> I, say DC, uh, I thought about what would DC look like after capitalism, and it would just be like a tiny little town, like the size of Providence. You know? Yeah, like, yeah. Like it would just be like the local worker without the mall. <laughs> and yeah, exactly. And like, and just, just that's it. You know, like the, yeah. the fucking Alexandria and and other waterfronts would just be restored to the people. You know. And uh, all the monuments would be, you know, well, something would be done with them, you know, and then like all the public buildings would just be turned into, you know, just like in any fucking Soviet bloc country or something, it would just be turned into something else. Yeah. Uh, thank God, you know, and yeah, but it, yeah. The, like the population would be like half of what, of what right. it is now. Um, so yeah, you, you know, you tell your friends and family you're leaving, you know, if you have any pets, you can bring them with you if you want. Yep. Uh, if you have any house plants, I guess you still have to take care of those. You have to have someone take care of those. Sure. Um, yeah. So you, you you know you take uh, the, you walk or you take the streetcar or whatever to uh, to the port, and uh-huh. uh, you get on a boat. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just ask them, hey, uh, you got an extra spot for me? Right. And uh, are you going to uh, I don't know fucking what's a port town in Europe? <laughs> uh, fucking uh, oh uh, is is a uh, Nice. I don't know. Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> I nearly had it. You go to a port town, port. yeah, yeah. And yeah, then you yeah. get on the boat, and it it goes across the Atlantic Ocean, and then yeah. you, you're there, and and that's it. And you yeah, do whatever you right. want. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And what's interesting is is like w- this is where again where people say, well, what you know, how do you how do you pay for fare? How do you pay for anything once you're there? And this is something that I kind of wrestled with because you know you can you can hope that people will sort of just like give you food and stuff. Yeah. Um, but like that's never guaranteed, but I guess like then you right. can come back to the like post scarcity argument. Of, like, why wouldn't they? Right. Like you just show up and you're like, Hey, where do I get food? And they'd be like, Oh yeah, well um, there's a variety of options. And then they're like, well, we've got our community kitchen restaurant over here where you're free to cook a bunch of bangers and mash or curry or whatever, right. you know, or, or we've got this one over here. That's a little newer where somebody's teaching people how to make uh, authentic sushi, but with like locally caught fish, you know, and you're like, Oh, that's so cool. Let me engage in culture. This isn't, this isn't some fucking tourist shit. This is like actually traveling and being part of it, you know, which would be. Yeah, that's another thing that I didn't think about is tourism Mm -hmm. as we know it wouldn't exist because Mm -hmm. the whole point of tourism now is to attract rich foreigners uh, who, you know, (laughs) yeah, they they have the rations that you need from the state and you need to get them from them. So you perform some service for them, uh, you know, either something like relatively normal, like you know, serving the local cuisine, but maybe tailored for their tastes. Yeah. Uh, or something, you know, darker, like, uh, you know, doing sex work for, right. you know, rapists, basically. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And yeah, none of that shit would exist. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and as for travel food, uh, I know, I know I uh, railed against grains earlier, but, you know, maybe bring some onigiri with you or some pemmican or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But actually, speaking of speaking of tourism again, like this actually brings me back to, you know, I mentioned that we grew up moving around quite a lot, and um, there were there were a few things that that were induced by that experience. There was like a big cultural difference that I've ever I've had because of that with like pretty much 
most people. Um, and, and I'm not trying to be a snob. This, this is that's not the point. I'm not saying I'm better. I'm just saying like there's a distinct kind of like difference that develops. One thing is that I said I've noticed. I would say this lots of people, and I would say I still stick to this to some extent. Um, there's there's two basic categories of people that you don't often notice until you've actually moved around a lot, which is that there are mm-hmm. people who are kind of inherently nomadic and there's people mm-hmm. who are inherently like settlers or yeah. like they stay in place. Right. And let's say sedentary because sedentary, right. And then actually speaking of those connotations, the other thing was that um, I said, you know, everybody that goes to a different country wants to call themselves a traveler, but most of those people are actually tourists there is a difference between a tourist yeah. and a traveler, right? And so that's actually, you know, you get all these like Instagram fuckers who are like, you know, their their parents are millionaires and shit and they just like go fucking spend shit in some yeah. quote unquote exotic country and they come back and say it changed their lives and nothing actually happened. They just like fucked some French guy, you know, um, whatever yeah. it might be. Now, but, like, I, now, I, uh, now I'll use the tragedy of third world countries to bludgeon people w- w- with my moralizing statements. Exactly. And that's how exactly. my life has changed. <laughs> exactly. And, and so, and so it becomes very, very clear that like tourism, um, whatever the intent of the tourist, right? Like I think a lot of people really are just trying to, as we've kind of described in its, in its elements, they're trying to escape capitalism for some mm-hmm. brief moment. Right. Yeah. The people who actually have to save for a vacation and go somewhere else, those are the people who really need that. Um, but tourism is structured and designed to basically be um, simulated colonialism, um, yeah. like simulated colonial lifestyle. And so um, that's where it becomes very like interesting and like in, in a in a sort of academic way, I guess, in an analytical sense, but like very creepy, of course. And so yes. that's where you're like, okay, like the people who are engaging with it sort of naively because they're just trying to escape the capitalistic structures of wherever they're from and they're trying to travel. Um, but they're engaging in the tourist industry to do so. They probably have no idea that they're engaging in this like simulated colonial lifestyleism, right? Um, this kind of LARPing, you know? Um, and then, and then you've got like the, the, the really bougie types who, they call themselves travelers. They're, Oh my God, I'm a free spirit. Um, but they're the most colonial people. Um, yes. They're like, they're the neolib colonial types, you know? Um, and then again, there are the people who actually travel, travel who are like, however they, however they move their bodies from, they're working place, odd jobs they where they go so that they can. Right. Right. Or, or they yeah. are, or they, when they get to a place, they're actually engaging with the culture as it mm-hmm. is, as opposed to how it's being sold to them. Right. right. They're making friends, like real friends, you know, um, they're learning the language. That's a key thing is learning the fucking language. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. This is reminding me of uh, the story that my friend Tessa told me, uh, mm-hmm. who I, I still want to have on sometime for an episode about temp work. And maybe we can have her mm-hmm. talk more about. This. Yeah, I really want to do that episode whenever, also, whenever that's able to. But uh, she, she went on a cruise with her um, her boyfriend's family. I think it was her boyfriend. No, maybe it was her mom's family. I don't remember. Uh, th- not important. But uh, <laughs> with one of their parents' family, and mm-hmm. it was to like the Caribbean. And she was saying there was one part where they unexpectedly had to uh, get off the ship and like cross the island for some reason. And it was like this Potemkin village thing where like uh-huh. the resort that they had been on looked really nice, and then they go through like the actual part of the country 
that the the people really live in and it was just completely different and the the cruise line was like trying to like shield their eyes from it so they wouldn't have to look at it <laughs> god it's just nuts yeah um, yeah i mean yeah go ahead I, I think another thing with the like uh the different types of tourists is like you know there's there's the people that call themselves travelers who are like uh generally uh they have people serving them all the time and when they are yep. traveling, yep. they also have people serving them. And then there's exactly. the people who are regular workers who, like, they are serving people all the time and they want an escape from it by exactly having other right. people serve them for a change. Right. And that's the difference. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which I think is a good segue into our work life section. Yep. Uh, so I think obviously the ideal situation would be to abolish all obligatory work. Yep. Uh, I've I've written an article for uh, the zine that I used to do. I haven't done one in years, but uh, uh, basically the the end goal of communism is to uh, free everyone from all obligatory uh, tasks, including you know if you don't want to uh, you know eating, sleeping, all of that shit. Uh, we need yeah. to free ourselves from our social and biological limitations and engage with each other. Uh, purely out of love uh, and not out of just uh, not out of obligation, but uh, because it makes each other, it makes everyone better uh, for interacting with one another. Uh, but until then, obviously uh, there will be an expectation for able-bodied people to uh, chip in for a few hours of work. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, but without people doing the like huge amounts of unnecessary work to maintain the state, the, the bullshit jobs that Chris was referring to earlier, uh, people will be free to, you know, just contribute a small amount of work, uh, for the things that people probably won't be volunteering for, like, uh, building maybe, I think a lot of people probably like building stuff, but like more laborious tasks, like harvesting crops, uh, you know, carrying boxes around, mm-hmm. uh, cleaning stuff, like taking inventory, shit like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think like manual labor is is exercise, and so people who want to stay in shape, uh, whereas now they you know go to a, a specialized building to do completely pointless uh, lifting of you know heavy pieces of metal. Uh, instead, they'll just uh, carry boxes around or harvest crops or uh, hammer nails in or clean, and that's all exercise. Yeah, I, I will. I will. I will uh, stand up for the honor of exercise. I, uh, I, I absolutely. I do agree with you. I do agree with you because I've grown up, again, you know, in fucking rural places, multiple rural places, not just in Indonesia mm-hmm. but also the Midwest, where there's a lot of manual labor. There's a lot of, um, you know, yeah, just keep in mind that I'm, I've lived my entire life in the suburbs, so I'm kind of a dumbass. Yeah. <laughs> That's totally fine. Um, <laughs> We, uh, it's just good that they poked holes in, in the box that they keep you in. Um, so <laughs> last until now. Um, <laughs> um, well, they're not very big, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah, right, right. And the smell is not great. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is very good. Well, so, uh, yeah. So, like, the, the sort of, tr- you know, what you might call traditional, but just manual labor um, is, is good for your body as long as it's not injurious. Yeah. Um, which it can be, but it's primarily injurious under, you know, industrial capitalism. Um, yeah. 
and like state agrar you know agricultural product the projects and like these kind of state uh, pressured uh, construction projects and stuff like the fucking Great Wall of China for example all the people that died doing that yeah you know anything like that so so but that's always because of violence involved there's the implicit violence um, that is causing you to do repetitive movements that end up injuring you because like mm-hmm. you're just trying to get the fucking thing done um or so because you, it's designed that way like with scientific management right. and like yeah, assembly lines and stuff yep yeah um and so so there's that uh but in a in a, in a more sort of utopian proper uh, uh production mode uh yeah people would be able to take the time to do it right both for the work itself, as in like the process and the output um, and the outcome, but also for their own body, right? The ergonomics yeah. of it. Um, and so that would be very good exercise. But I will say that um, being somebody who works out and who is constantly thinking about like my posture and how to walk more effectively and, and less uh, injuriously. As soon as you said posture, I straightened up because <laughs> my posture is so bad. <laughs> Everybody sit up straight right now. Um, so... <laughs> So, you know, things like that uh, are, are also very good for you to take on as like a self-discipline and also a way to, for example, there's um, when you do work, you know, if that's all you're doing physically is a particular set of tasks, often you develop these asymmetries. And that's one yeah. thing that regular exercise is good at essentially just balancing. So that again, to prevent injury. So that's, Mm -hmm. we're going to segue from this into the next thing, but basically exercise is in many ways, preventive medicine, as long as you're able to do it, and as long as you're doing it correctly, which you can Mm -hmm. train to do, just like you can train to drive a car, ride a bike, make your bed, you know, fix a bowl of cereal. Right. So, um, and and before we do transition, uh I just want to add one more thing, which is like, I, I think that like, uh, you know, we kind of fetishize high tech processes or like, uh, automated labor. I mean, I'm, I'm for automation as long as it's to reduce toil, but I also think that like people working together to do manual labor is like really cool. And like, Oh hell yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, like, uh, what the thing I always think of is like this video of like these guys in Thailand who are, uh, doing the task of pile driving, which is normally done by this big crane looking machine mm-hmm. um, that drives, you know, these big stakes into the ground or whatever. Yep. And yep. Uh, it's just these guys that have like, uh, like they're standing on this platform that's attached to this thing. They're trying to drive into the ground and they're just mm-hmm. all jumping up and down at the same time to push it into the ground. It's fucking <laughs> oh, awesome. Yes. I love it. <laughs> I love shit like I that. Love it. It's just, that's just like true bro moments. Just, yeah. <laughs> Yes. That's that's true brochialism. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Just just like just jumping up and down on the same fucking pile. That's great. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So but yeah. Before uh, I ruin this segue, uh, yeah. so the the next section is health, and we're uh-huh. talking about preventive medicine. Mm-hmm. Um. So since since you uh didn't ruin the segue, you want to get into that? <laughs> sure. Yeah. The, the best medicine is preventive. Um. Generally speaking, um. As as long as as long as you're able to prevent it anyway, right? There's plenty yeah. of things we can't prevent, um, like like if you know unpredictable um, like genetic conditions and things like that, or even the predictable ones that you just can't intervene. But anyway, so like most most medicine, generally speaking, seems to be 
Yeah, the um, best medicine is preventive, and that's why we need to abort anyone that has Huntington's. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah. That's why we need to abort irony bros, um, <laughs> so that we will uh, spare ourselves this horrible social disease. Um, <laughs> but then hey, we wait wouldn't a minute. Have this, uh, yeah, say, then we wouldn't have this delightful podcast. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, like the, the vast majority of avoidable illness um, basically does come from state society. Like when you look at like the records, um, this is one thing thing i do love about like archaeology and anthropology um especially is they're like oh yeah like these you know sure like there were certain um skulls in this area that like had like uh you know worn down teeth and stuff but that's because they were eating grain <laughs> yeah and so then they're like oh and then they developed a tooth infection everybody died when they're like 40 you know and and, and yeah uh, twenty thousand years ago everyone was yeah. normal and then uh starting sixteen thousand years ago everyone started mm-hmm. getting bone lesions except for rich people i wonder why yeah, that is basically. <laughs> Interesting. yeah yeah and like everybody had like just horrific horrific conditions uh yeah after, after all this stuff kicked N- off not non-state peoples are an average of like eight inches taller than state peoples yeah. <laughs> until like oh, man until like the late 20th century (laughs) right and that was basically only because of like the when you look at things like the fucking you know industrial world's middle class and upper class and kind of the expansion of these like imperial classes basically you know just taller and taller people getting more and more out of other people i don't know uh i can't speak to the numbers but we all know what we're talking about so yeah, like you got these grain-based diets, you got these uh, these large complex cities. Um, yeah, people packed really close together in yep. you know cities and apartment mm-hmm. buildings and schools and workplaces and all this stuff. Yeah, and and um, pollution, you know, like yeah. like the, the the whole thing about like um, garbage piles. Like archaeologists yes. are always finding weird shit in, in ancient garbage piles, you know. <laughs> Um, and figuring out all kinds of things about society just because there's so much of their fucking garbage. And then they're like, you look at the world now and you're like, oh, well, I guess we haven't changed that much. You know, it yeah. just, it just <laughs> won't go away anymore. You know, like we've, we've produced so much like synthetic. We, we've invented bags to keep the smell in. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> and then, you know, and then of course, like with the, you know, the rise of class society um, as uh essentially is what like the the how would you say this like the backbone of state society yeah Uh, um then then you've got all sorts of people you know the the base of the pyramid and of course some to some degree the middle of the pyramid like all these stressed out managers everybody just Mm -hmm. kind of hates their lives but they've learned to accept it because they're like afraid of consequences they are not organized enough to do much about it um or they are organized, but they're in competition with each other in some other way uh, because of ethnic or religious or um, regional concerns or just general yeah. paranoia. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course, that's also mental illness, you know. So basically the state invented, well, had the outcome of producing all of these horrible health conditions, you know, and all of its vaunted, uh, you know, solutions and and promises really don't amount to much when like you're you're not gonna get typically you're not gonna like solve your diseases and your and your mental health problems and stuff just by complying with the state which is what it always says will happen you know so it's it's really it's a real mind fuck for for everybody you know um and that's why we have to promote you know utopian 
whatever the fuck, utopian communism, etc. Broke Medicare for all. Woke abolish the state. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the source of all ills. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I know I've mentioned it multiple times on the show before, but like one of the things that makes it so obvious is uh, there's a, like multiple studies on the health effects of suburbs and mm-hmm. the like the just the fact that it uses this nonsensical subdivision street layout that is good for property developers and nothing else uh, rather than the, uh, you know, more reasonable uh, grid street layout that's good for you know navigating and efficiency and mm-hmm. uh, just all this other stuff uh, just that difference alone means like higher rates of diabetes and obesity and mm-hmm. uh, more auto fatalities because people uh, drive faster on those streets and are more likely to hit pedestrians and you know, it takes it takes longer to get anywhere because there's you know it doesn't ne- there's not necessarily a connection between point A and B. Like yeah. Yeah. Uh, my friend used to live like half a mile from my house, but instead of taking like like if I were to walk there, it would be like a half mile walk because I could like cut through yards and stuff. But to drive there, it's like you know, two miles of road because I have to go around all these like weird curves and stuff. I can't just go straight from A to B. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's just like uh, alienating. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. It's crazy what the environment can do to your health. Um, oh yeah. Oh my God. I, yeah, I, uh, I, uh, I, w- I will say like when I moved to DC, <laughs> Um, even though a lot of DC is, is rather lovely, you know, on purpose, of course, um, a a lot of it is also very like poorly upkept, you know, because, and this is actually flying right in the face of the whole private property argument because it's private property. It is poorly kept up. Right. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Because, because they, you know, all these fucking irresponsible, you know, owning class types, just don't give a fuck unless they can flip it or, you know, or if they can flip it, they want to just run it into the ground first, et cetera. Um, so I was like living in a part of town that is rather poor and I was living in just like a shithole apartment. And like, I was developing worse and worse, like mental, uh, illness because like, I was, uh, I was really uncomfortable. My room had no ventilation, all this stuff. And it was because that's yeah. all I could afford at the time. And that's a big part of all of this. Um, and it, yeah, it, it just, it just was, was one of many factors, but like my panic attacks were more frequent. Um, you know, these mm-hmm. days I live in a nicer part of town, even though it's more costly to me, uh, which is very, very annoying because you know, for <laughs> so many reasons, you know, um, that place like, is so fucking nice though. It's a nice place. We got very lucky, you know, <laughs> yeah. and I'm a little sad to leave it, but you know, it's just one house. Um, yeah. Yeah. But like the, you know, my, my mental illness has uh, receded somewhat and like my attacks are very manageable. They're not like full blown panic. They're more just like these kind of, when you feel really skittish for about an hour or two, mm-hmm. and you know, it's coming from anxiety, but like you can sort of breathe through it, think through it, manage it, you know? Um, and I think it's partly because I, my home is now more of a, a, a nest and a haven and like a safe place. Um, and it's not an oppressive mm-hmm. architecture. Yeah. Yeah, and we, I mean, we haven't even mentioned really like just the general stress of being in society, mm-hmm. of like 
you know, having to submit to a boss and Ugh. to all these bureaucratic systems. Yeah. And like, you know, just the ambient like toxicity of like everything that's around us. <laughs> I mean, like literal toxicity, just, like, yeah, exactly. You it's... know, like drywall is toxic, the paint yep. that's on the walls and, yep. you know, the, the plastics that are, you know, every, all, all around you, like uh-huh. just everything uh, has all these like toxic materials in them. Yep. Mainly derived from oil. Yep. Uh, just because that's, that's just how state society works, I guess. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really weird. Like how, how much like, it, Ro- Romans uh, salted their food with lead <laughs> because yeah. they lived in a state. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just bizarre how like um, cultures of states just compound their, their, like unnecessary evils, you know? Yeah. Just, they go after like the worst thing every time. <laughs> like, oh, well, we could put lead in it. <laughs> like, it it's well, like that. Uh, there's a, there's a Bill Hicks thing about marketing where he's like, Oh, uh, how was work today? Honey's like, Oh good. I, uh, I, uh, I sold, uh, lead materials to uh, baby bottle companies. <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly that's actually one reason why like i i've as a writer i've had such a hard time even even getting close to getting into like copywriting and stuff i've done a little bit here and there but mostly like on a contract just Uh minor stuff but i was like i can't even imagine right like writing ad copy or something oh yeah Uh, because like like 90 percent, 99 percent of the products and, and stuff out there are not just garbage but actually detrimental you know and i'm like i i have like a mental block (laughs) when it comes to (laughs) trying to sell that stuff i'm like even if i wanted the money i would be incapable of writing whatever it took to sell that shit (laughs) (laughs) i would just sit and stare at the screen until be like sorry sorry, i can't do it i'm sorry i'm sorry it's like walk away (laughs) we have no real transition for the next section so let's just get right into it <laughs> uh so the next section we have is clothing mm-hmm. and uh chris you don't have to agree with me on this but i think it's pretty clear that we will progress to the peak of clothing mm-hmm. uh which was uh you know achieved by uh several indigenous tribes in like the the pacific uh which is the penis gourd yes. uh you know which is just a gourd that you put over your penis yep. and that's all it is uh, so production of, of clothing will be very simple. You you grow gourds until they're big enough for your hog to fit in, and then yeah. you hollow it out and uh, you put it on. Yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. that's and the that's, end. That's anybody who has. You a, don't have to be ashamed or, anymore. Or like it, <laughs> put it in a gourd, except of your penis, because penises are bad. Well, uh, you know, it depends on the penis, I guess. <laughs> but yeah you know like we could do that we could do that um personally this is actually one thing i was thinking about the other day about like um like conformity and like the kind of like the, the puritanism of uh-huh. um like like white fascism in particular uh, which, you know, it sounds like a fucking redundant term, but, you know, follow me down this brief tangent of just, like, all, there's all these, like, insecure uh, sort of Christo-fascist types and just, like, just, like, bland This white is basically type. the plot of Kill La Kill. 
Oh, really? What are you talking about? <laughs> but basically, yeah, like they like they don't like um, people taking chances and being creative and doing things differently, and so like just like this insecurity just like piles up. And there's all all sorts of other reasons they go fash, but like it's just like a fat fash impulse is like they want to be style. You know, they, they it's the Richard Spencer effect, right? They want to be stylish and suave and sharp, but they're also just like you know, like a fucking bread roll stuffed into a Ziploc bag, you know, and they will never look good in that. Uh, they're just like, they don't know what they're doing and they're envious and bitter of, of like people who are like, yeah, actually in my culture, we wear fucking feather headdresses. We look badass as fuck by the way. But um, if I see you wearing that at a party, I'll kick your ass, you know, <laughs> like, you know, shit like that. Right. Like yeah, clothing in culture, whether it's state culture or not, like clothing is really, awesome um i love the possibilities i dress as some people have said pretty quote-unquote norm core i don't know uh, how to feel about that but um you know, i'm, I'm very norm core as well just because i don't know well i mean i think the main reason is i don't know where to get cool shit and also like most of the time i feel like i just sit around at home all day there's no reason for me to dress <laughs> <Yeah>. up <laughs> right, right. in my case uh, I, I was always going for like the kind of um just like simple will do kind of look mm-hmm. just like I have a consistency in my style just while we're in this topic of me and my lifestyle. <laughs> uh, but like, uh, but just like, I just like to keep things very simple overall. This is actually part of like what I was saying about like you move a lot and you keep things simple because like how many, how many fucking trunk fulls? Yeah, Chris has really like tw- Chris has like twenty five items in his room total. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So for me, like, I don't know if it's normcore so much as just like extremely. I don't want to call it utilitarian because that's like libertarian sounding, but like you know, extremely just like keeping it simple, no frills or not Spartan. too many frills, just Spartan. Yeah, yeah, uh, but, but not like Except not Spartan because they're statist. Yeah, and right, pedophiles. Exactly. Yeah, I don't want to be a statist or a pedophile. You know. <laughs> I'm going to uncheck that on my paperwork, Um, (laughs) (laughs) but, but yeah, like, uh, anyway, the the whole point being like, I, even though I keep it simple, I love seeing flair on people. I love seeing people do that. You know, I'm, I try to be creative. I like people being creative and I also like people being able to be simple like me or like do whatever the fuck, like if somebody wants to, you know, if, if Richard Spencer really wants to wear a blazer, that's like two sizes too small for his, his pudge, like, that's fucking his choice. The, the problem is when they're enforcing <laughs> that on other people, right? Um, and also, yeah. like, the beauty of of a non-state culture would be basically people choose their clothing based on uh, need, availability, and essentially creative impulse, right? And what and, and what he really needs is skincare, not a <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> skincare and like maybe some soul care. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. But like, but beyond that, like it would be just clothing production would be essentially based on kind of like with like the community kitchen restaurant thing. Like, there would be people who would be better at it. They would be the specialists, you know, you'd have tailors and stuff. Um, and those people would love to do that, you know, and they and, could, and fashion icons. I, I think it, we would still exactly. have fashion icons. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's no reason not to. It's like, because yeah. then it would just be about creativity and lifestyle and lifestyles yeah. would be so free and diverse 
in this. But they would just be world. cool people that you know instead of like exactly. And you know, like, millionaires. Oh, shit, dude, I can't believe like you did that. I want to do that too. So then you yeah. start copying them, just like in the real world, but not in this horrible, pressured like catwalk kind of way. You know. Yeah. Um, and you're not overproducing. I mean, like textiles and clothing and all all that related industry is like one of the core industries of like classical capitalism right like just yeah i think i think fashion is one of the key features of capitalism like yeah like the style changing constantly thing yeah yeah like really really took uh took really like started going uh really hard with capitalism yeah and if you think about fashion and all that shit yeah yeah so if you think about how we were talking about um grains as um, you know, they're, they're easily quantified. They're easily mm-hmm. stolen. They are, um, you know, they they all have essentially these like discrete seasons and things like mm-hmm. that. And you look at the way that fashion works under capitalism and it's exactly the same thing and yeah. they come from crops. So it's essentially a sort of a doubling over of a crop, uh, industry, if you will, like, like they take the transformation of a crop into a commodity and then they just 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 do the whole fucking scheme and we use that. cotton instead of hemp man right it's right. not even the best thing to use <laughs> i mean i think fashion is one of the ways that that actually they um uh what do you call it like reinforce the myth of progress because right if you feel that you look differently like your material culture is that much different from one generation, two generation, three generations ago, a hundred years ago, 200 years ago, which is just a or even outcome. fucking 10 years ago, 10 years, like, ago right. 10 years ago, shutter shades were cool. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and, and so you say, Oh, well, you know, my culture now is cool and hip. Right. And it's, and therefore it's advanced and we don't look like dorks now and like before. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And and so then you, you fall into this like little mind trap of believing that like, because you know, your fucking forever 21 bag is slightly different from it was before. And because it's conforming with a current wave of similar kind of uh, patterns, then mm-hmm. oh well this is the way now and this is cool and I'm hot and young or I'm I'm like fucking whatever it is. Then you know you become an anarchist or something and you realize that it was all just a ruse and you're living in a nightmare. But we don't have to have that. But goth is forever, so goth is forever. We we can have goth solidarity. <laughs> How about let's uh learn about learning. Yeah, learning. Well obviously, you know, <laughs> In, in a utopia, reading will just be abolished because paper is, is sieve. Um, well, I, th- I think a little bit unironically that that uh, written language is sieve because it's the purpose of it is basically to standardize uh, knowledge so that you can replace someone as a knowledgeable person right. uh, with someone who can read a book about it, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I, I think, don't know if I'm making a lot of sense, but I, I would, it, it's, I would, yeah, yeah. I was going to say I would go more with um, like Ochalan had uh, Abdul Ochalan had uh, his his idea about how kind of um, and he was drawing on Bookchin, of course, but uh, so I, I don't know the extent to which like this is just Ochalan's idea or if it's just 
um, like a development of Bookchin's idea, but how early civilization seems to have, you know, like civ and, and sort of state society uh, seems to have developed such that like um, these like male priest types took over. Um, yeah. Right. They created like a class for themselves by, uh, and they used things like writing and like accounting and, and as a, as a yeah, widespread of, like, literacy uh, is a very, very new thing historically. Yeah, exactly. And so, and so that, that was like a way for them to create and maintain a particular kind of hierarchy so that then, um, and, and of course you also see that like often, if not always often, um, women are not taught to read, um, in these yeah. traditional cultures. And so that's, that goes right hand in hand with the, the whole idea of like the ancient patriarchy being key to the survival of the state. You know, because you immediately, and this is definitely Bookchin's idea, you immediately sub subjugate like, you know, half the population or more. Um, and so when you, when your supposed success as a society, right, under the state mythology, de depends on some specialist uh, being able to read and write. And then they won't, because reading and writing is a, is a learned system, they won't teach it to anybody except the people they prefer. Then that becomes an immediate hierarchy. Like that's just automatically like a superpower. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's, yeah. Yeah. And uh, uh, mm -hmm. another, another point that uh, James C. Scott made in, in against the green mm -hmm. uh, was that, uh, state societies valued reading a lot and, and non-state societies were exactly the opposite. They, they were, um, what's the word, uh, disparaging or, uh, like, like they looked, they looked down on, it, uh, reading and stuff like that and yeah. reading and writing. And they really favored, uh, oral, uh, transmission of knowledge, mm -hmm. uh, through like myths and all that and it kind of reflects how knowledge actually is where like it's always contextual so yeah, yeah. um you know a, a book will eventually be outdated yeah. uh like every all knowledge needs to be updated for the context that we currently live in mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so i think there is something to the idea that like writing isn't as valuable as we might think it is um yeah. i mean it's good for like you know historical records uh, but for like being like the main form of like transferring knowledge, I don't think it's good at all. Right. Um, like, uh, yeah. I mean, we are talking about learning and not just like reading and reading versus right. speaking, but right. like, uh, in terms of, in terms of learning, like, uh, I went to college for, uh, it was supposed to be for four years. I went for six years because I'm a bad student. Cause I hate <laughs> all mm -hmm. that shit. Mm -hmm. But, uh, <laughs> Uh, I studied computer science and I could not really program anything like practical yeah. mm -hmm. uh, when I got out of school. Mm -hmm. I got the vast majority of my knowledge and I, I consider myself a really good programmer. Uh, I got the vast majority of the knowledge from like just doing it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, I think that's the case with, with any kind of learning just about you mm -hmm. like – the best way to learn is by doing it or watching someone do it. Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. So I think utopian pedagogy should replace or should reflect, um, you know, that idea. And 
I, mm-hmm. I guess reality. I don't know. I haven't read any evidence about it, so I won't say that it's like an objective truth. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, and and that's actually um, the the sort of the the advantage of like tacit knowledge and um, practice and and things like that. Those are those are those are very high. And like another thing that I learned from growing up in the places that I did, especially in Indonesia, was that. Um, like in in, the, in specific areas where I lived, um, if if a young person wanted to learn a, a, an essential skill, they um, would basically they would just go and they'd watch the person at work, the like this yeah. the, the elder right who was working, and they would watch them. And you know, and, and it was like it was one of these interesting things where it kind of reminds you of like the apprentice to journeyman to to master, um, sort of highly structured. Uh, training and career path but in this case it was like less formal it was like some four-year-old or six-year-old or 12-year-old goes and they just sit and they watch like the the woodworker right and they watch them doing the woodworking and they watch how they hold the tool and when they do a thing and how much pressure they put on you know everything like that and they don't touch that shit until the woodworker basically allows them to do so and to try something partly because um in these cases, uh, resources are precious, you know, and tools are not easily replaced. Right. So this is a very traditional economy we're talking about. Um, but also because it's like, well, why would I let you try if you haven't paid attention, you know, um, if you haven't basically put in the time to just absorb, which is actually kind of how learning language works too, is you have to do a lot of passive listening and watching people to really get good at the language you're trying to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Babies learn to understand what you're saying way before they can say anything themselves. Yep. And that's actually how language basically works is you'll always understand unless you have like, say like a, you know, like a brain damage condition or something. Yeah. You'll always understand more effectively than you're able to personally verbalize. Yeah. Um, Like I can still understand French, but I would probably sound like a dumbass if I tried to say anything mm -hmm. in it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But it's also true of your own. Same with Japanese. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's also true of your own mother tongue is that like you just perceive more effectively than you can transmit. Um, Yeah. Which is like advantageous, but it also means that like that right there seems to me to confirm like that socialism is ingrained. Um, Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's a natural. Uh, um, um, like need, you know, and it's an, an advantage, you know, when we yeah. work together, right? But and and that speech is superior to writing because mm-hmm. you can understand speech way before you can un- understand writing, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. What what else about this? I mean, I, I just put down here like um, a lot of the this is kind of what I said anecdotally but a lot of the actually important learning that is needed to sustain right the stuff that's not bullshit jobs right um Mm -hmm. will kind of be learned somewhat by osmosis because you'll be able to observe everyone around you constantly doing useful stuff because that's how this will work right um you'll see people cooking and you'll smell the cooking you'll see people doing woodworking and you'll understand the shapes that are you know emerging and what they're for you know, because nobody will have yeah. to hide behind a, a defensive screen of bureaucracy about what they're working on because it's like, well, duh, it's, it's apparent what you're working on and why it's important, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, 
literacy. And and I think in general there would be like less specialization. Um I mean like overall for one thing yeah. because there's going to be fewer jobs overall because mo- I don't know about most but like a huge chunk of jobs are just invented for the management of the state. Right, and right, right. Wouldn't right. be necessary at all. So there's no reason to specialize in those, but also yeah. because like a lot of specialization is only there to make workers easier to control and right, exactly. there's no reason to have that uh you know in the in the future so yeah. i was i was actually thinking about um things like I, i've listed here four examples of received skills you know things that are hard to pick up on your own you know you have mm-hmm. to kind of be trained literacy woodworking electrical engineering and nursing um all those things have some degree of complexity they require tools they require um, a study of like the, the, you know, a particular kind of sort of like guided study of the subjects that you're dealing with, you know, things like that. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, even cooking. Yeah. Like, cooking, Exactly. Yeah. Like, you can yeah. figure some stuff out on, in any of these, in any of these uh, sort of disciplines or, or skill sets, but like you can, you can figure sort of random stuff out in basics. Yeah. That's fine. You know, but like, it's also dangerous in terms of like nursing or electrical engineering, you know, right. um, or even woodworking. If you're trying to build anything bigger than like a box, you know, and mm-hmm. so, uh, or like literacy, if you're trying to write a poem and then, you know, um, as who was it like Charles the first inspire the masses to revolution. <laughs> well, right, exactly. Like, um, I think it was in the, um, it was in the, uh, Pax Britannica podcast that I was listening to where Charles Stewart, uh, was trying to write like a cute letter to the Spanish, like fucking, uh, what was her name? Spanish princess or something. Okay. And uh, he uh, he was I think it's pronounced about Princesa. Princesa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and and he said something about like the ambassador who was facilitating their like communications and meant to say something like this guy has been very helpful or like this guy's like my great, you know, art, my great helper and uh-huh. he ac- he accidentally used um, a Spanish term which was a colloquial like term for like a pimp. And so he basically said, like, yeah, this guy's really pimping you out to me. Like, it's great. You know? <laughs> so it's like, that's the sort of thing that illiteracy is very dangerous to. So, you know, I, I will say there, there are risks, but, um, you know, social risks. Um, but, like, those are things that you can, you can see that are, like, immediately important, immediately. Like, their, their uses are obvious. Um, and the special specializations that are, that might be necessary are, like, um, more people can do these things. Like literacy can be widespread as a skill, yeah. right? We know that already. Like there's very few people that like, like, like proportionally few people that have like a real true struggle learning to read and or write. And those people, you know, they might have like a, um, uh, a learning condition or whatever with woodworking, you know, that's going to be physical. So if you have like a physical disability that you, you can't woodwork, you know, or you have to do a, an adaptation, um, like get a prosthetic or, or you have like, if you're one of these people who's super talented with like their feet instead of their hands because they, or they have whatever, I don't want to get into the fucking wood, you know, weeds with this, but like, or electrical engineering, you know, if, if you have an issue with like colorblindness, you can't tell which wires are which, right? Like classic yeah. problem. Um, and nursing probably similar to all of those three, you know, there's, or if you have this uh, disease where you're vulnerable to electrocution, like a pathetic weakling, <laughs> 
<laughs> never like me. me. That ain't me. Yeah. <laughs> I've never been. I actually, when I was a kid, I I got electrocuted um, off of a bare wire that was like just hanging out there and like completely blacked out. It was like that's my parents thought I was like gonna have brain damage. So you I've know. been electrocuted before, but then I was like, that's it. <laughs> You're like, what? That's all you got? <laughs> yeah. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> the one time I have been electrocuted, it was very weak. <laughs> so <laughs> I've been electrocuted a few times. It's uh, it's always a weird so I'm experience. pretty sure I can just grab onto, you know, mains, bare mains wires and no problem for me. So. <laughs> oh, uh, man. Just immune you, to it. Just like I'm immune feel... to all drugs. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh man! Uh, Nobody can I, tranquilize I think, me. I think, about, I think about the times I've been badly electrocuted, and it is not—it is not fun. But um, yeah, yeah I, I had a high school friend who got struck by lightning and showed me his feet, and I was like, uh, <laughs> "That's yeah. fucking yeah. terrible." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, not great, not great. Yeah, um, but yeah. Oh, I was gonna say um, about this is that like more people can take on these skills, and this is this is another thing like like you said about like controlling workers, right? Is like when when I got into these arguments with chuds online about you know minimum wage fifteen dollars, um, somebody both I think of them said, "Oh, you want to fucking you know pay a, a fucking burger flipper fifteen dollars when EMTs only make blah blah blah," and I'm like, "Jesus Christ, fucking shut the fuck up!" First of all, yeah, I was having that you argument know. today. Yeah, like, uh, just people before the show, bring up, <laughs> people always bring up fucking paramedics and shit as if it's like the big fucking argument. Well, killer. the person I was talking to was an EMT. Oh, great! And was like. If you think that uh, licensed professionals deserve the same amount of money as a burger flipper, you're delusional. And I was like, they should be paid the same, actually. Just, yeah. uh, you yeah. know, sorry if that offends you. <laughs> yeah, right, right. You take yourself too seriously. Um, yeah, yeah. But here's the thing is like, is like as, as this kind of economy develops, like more people can do those like, um, what do you call them? Like kind of high stakes kind of work. Like, because yeah. you're not being forced to fucking show up to work for like 40 to 80 to 100 hours a week to just scrape by and pay rent and feel like shit all the time. You know, there can and, be more. And, people and if available. you get injured, you won't be enslaved by the healthcare system exactly. forever. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. There can be more people available to to help people with emergencies and they'll be available at, you know, more of the time because, again, most people most of the time are going to be in free time, you know? Yeah. And so, and so you're like, Oh, I, I fell off a ladder and I broke my neck, but I'm salvageable. And like, you know, Oh, there's a fucking building over there with like five out of a hundred people who are just like, yeah, we know how to deal with this. We'll come right over, you know, and they can treat you in two buildings down because there's fucking hospitals on every block, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Lots of yeah. kids want to be doctors. Exactly. Like, yeah. why shouldn't they be, you know? Right. Um, why shouldn't everybody be at least, you know, people always crow about how much everybody should do first aid training, right? Yeah. Like, oh, everybody's got to do first aid training. It's it's like, you know, it's so essential. And you're like, great. Well, you know, why, why don't we just make everybody, you know, some kind of... Um, yeah, just pay for everyone to do that. Yeah, you know, pay for everyone to do that. And give them like give everybody some some new medical training every fucking season, so that you just know more and more shit. You know that yeah. would be 
fantastic. I, I, I don't relish the idea of using a syringe, but lots of people fucking use syringes on themselves for good or ill, you know, uh-huh. and, and that's like, that's a skill, you know, I'd get used to it. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, uh, you know, I, I would, I first aid is, is basic first aid is not even scratching the surface of all the other things that you could do just as a nurse. And then beyond that, there's all the fucking like, you I, know, I, will say that I highly value the skill of being able to use a needle. Well, because, uh, almost every single time I've ever had my arm stuck with a needle, it's hurt. But the last time I got uh, stuck with a needle was like three weeks ago, and the mm-hmm. nurse who stuck me, mm-hmm. like, I I didn't I wasn't looking at it because gross, but uh, I right, right, didn't right. really feel anything. Like uh-huh, I, uh-huh. it literally was like the thing that they always say, which is like, oh, you're gonna feel a little pinch. Yep. It was a little pinch, and then that's it. Like whereas yeah. other times it's like, yeah, this is more like uh, it kind of hurts a little bit, but <laughs> right, right, <laughs> okay, a little pinch, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, and this is the interesting thing is is um, you could have again instead of having like one percent of the population or like point five percent of the population being like a medical specialist and and all these other costs causing them to charge you all this money. And this is the thing that people forget when they talk about like, well, I need to be paid this much. And you're like, yeah, you need, you say you need to get paid that much because like you went into fucking medical school and it's a whole racket, you know? Yeah. Like like, it's the same fucking difference. And we should all just get off. And because we have a rationing system where (laughs) you need money to alleviate your poverty, which is enforced by the state that you live in. Precisely. So, we are yeah. we aren't going to have that anymore. You can just get whatever you want. Right, right, and also, and also, this the advantage is- of being a doctor is it's a thing that you want to do because you like helping people. And if you don't want to do that, then like, you probably shouldn't be a doctor because the whole thing is helping people. And if you're only doing it because you're being forced to by a rationing system, you're probably not going to do a very good job at it because you yeah. don't really want to be there. Yeah, and I was going to say actually, I was going to. I'm glad you made that point because it saves me making that point, but I was going to add to that point. Um, and if, and if you're doing it for a reason, like to be quote, you know, like to be a higher class than people, which other people yeah. do, too, you know, especially like doctors and shit, you know, uh, they're like, oh, I'm going to be, I'm going to be bougie by being a doctor, you know, then like you really shouldn't be a doctor because you're yeah. a fucking asshole. <laughs> <laughs> like, so it, it all kind of comes out in the wash. Yeah. Um, but we've 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 kind of beat that horse to death. Um, radical pedagogy. I don't know much about it yet. I would like to, but I feel like there's there's Little Red Hood Schoolhouse, which is a podcast that kind of touches on like education stuff from like a uh, left perspective, um, and the, I think some of the other podcasts run by academics, such as Coffee with Comrades, but not that's not the only one. I think um, they if you just listen to those podcasts, they will be able to tell you way more about like learning pedagogy school etc than like i could come up with in 30 seconds so just go mm-hmm. find those podcasts cool yeah uh so let's see do we want to do the like do we want to do both of the sections we're at hour 40 on the recording right now oh yeah probably um, 15 minutes or so of that is the pre-show stuff yeah, and then I'll probably be able to cut out like another f- five minutes or so. So, yeah, uh, um, we kind of, we kind of, um, well, leisure and play are kind of essential. We um, we touched on it a little bit. We we didn't get really super specific about it. Yeah, like like we can go real quick through it. You know, um, like 
not have to flesh it out too much. Just be like, mm-hmm. you know, like, yeah, of course we'll have a lot of free time. And like, that means more time for games and more time for like, you know, your own like fitness lifestyle. If you want it, your own athletics, your own, you know, um, yeah. So we can just kick that off and then go straight into ecosystem. Sure. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, so like, speaking of like people being available because of their free time to like everybody be a little bit of a nurse, everybody be a little bit of an engineer, everybody be a little bit of a whatever, you know? Um, and then like, and, and falling off ladders too, I think <laughs> yes. also relates to this. People will also be more free to fall off ladders, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. So basically everybody ideally, and this is kind of one of the key goals of this, of, of rearranging society is to like literally just, not just free people in an abstract sense, but like free people in terms of time and, 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 and their bodies to do things that are fun and beautiful and and good. And that are like biologically necessary and healthy. Um, and, and recreational essentially is what I'm saying. So like right now we already have all these things that people want to do that we're constantly either paying to do or volunteering to do when we can, or, or, or finding ways to do despite wage work. Um, but it's like athletics and fitness games of all kinds. Most of us mm-hmm. love playing games of some kind. Um, even if it's just like silly, like social games, like fucking, you know, like pranks or like stirring up six degrees of Kevin Bacon. On. Yeah, or that shit, you know. Um, we played cool. that so much in high school, uh, which, you know, as Foucault pointed out, is like a prison. Uh, so one <laughs> of the things we did in, in our high school prison was play Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. Yeah, and that's the, it's like that's the sort of game that you could actually play without Kevin Bacon. Like you, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> anybody, you could be like, yeah. oh yeah, so and so at like make the, this social network connect. That's the game, <laughs> right? Exactly. So and so at like the you know at the Elgin Commune in Chicago, like <laughs> how many connections can we get to that person? Right. Whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, six degrees of Murray Bookchin. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. It'd be great. Um, and and then also, like I said, like people who choose, like myself, to pursue uh, some level of, of like uh, disciplined fitness, we can do that, and we can have more time to do it carefully and like methodically, and like try different ways to do it, whatever it might take, you know. Which is actually like these days in our in our society right now, that's like more the preserve of like a professional athlete. Like those are the people who um, have had the drive to make their quote unquote job out of athletics and fitness so that they can spend all that time to do it. But then again, more people can do that with more time. You know, you don't have to be like rushing through your fucking routine. If it's something you do routinely, whatever. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's, and again, like, just like what we were saying about repetitive work um, as a result, you will be probably less pr- prone to injury and you will also not be driven by this particular, this utopian culture to do things like fitness and athletics and like sports and stuff uh, to establish like primacy and supremacy and like, you know, um, to make yourself social connections. <laughs> right. You, you might do it for social connections just for fun. You might do it for, for yeah. like, for like politically advantageous social connections, I should say. Right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. You will, you know, you will not like, do it for that. Yeah. Right. And like you see like players who get rich and become capitalists, you know. Yeah. Um, which like uh I see you know, I think we we know the kind of this is the lay of the land there, but like 
but then also, you know, the constant. If, if they're black, it's good, and if they're white, it's bad. <laughs> we'll, we'll just say that. <laughs> um, and then, um, and then other questions of like, you know, like speaking of like the prison of high school, you know, the constant fucking like popularity contests uh, that often involve things like, um, you know, physical. Well, really, phys- physicality generally, um, because of like people. Um, going through adolescence and, and becoming sexual and all this kind of thing. So that like yeah. athletics and sports become almost inherently sexualized, especially in a highly um, toxically competitive um, society where you eventually expect to be competing with each other pretty much for like indirectly over life and death. You know, am I going to have um, a shitty apartment and worse mental illness and less good food? Or am I going to be like popular and paid a better salary and whatever you know, and, and like you said, political connections come into that, right? That's all yeah. part of that political sphere. But like in a utopian eco-communist society, it seems that, you know, you could get into sports more purely for the fun of it, right? Without worrying about what we do now uh, with things like sports, which is like mini nationalism, you know, and like chauvinism and shit, shit, shit like that. Um, I, I would be interested to know if like, if we know of any sports that, non-state societies have that's a great question i have no idea yeah i know neither of us know that because neither of us are into sports and wouldn't have looked that up but maybe that's something we could uh look into for an episode that'd be yeah interesting. maybe maybe we could uh, have a guest on that knows more about sports than we do <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, um but also things anyway. like music um you know, all these other recreational activities and like kind of pastimes and, and indulgences, like uh, all the arts, music, uh, books of various kinds and not just books, but like, we'll you know, still have 808s in the communist utopia, I think, but <laughs> yeah. uh, also uh, wood instruments are pretty cool too. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's what I'll say. Um, and like, um, you know, fine arts um, just for the pleasure of it. Right. You know, uh, also media because media is kind of like, more murals. We'll have way more murals. Honestly, I love murals. Yeah, um, yeah, that'd be awesome, and and you know, and it would be like a lot more vernacular stuff because again, it wouldn't be a class society. Um, yeah, so you'd, you'd you'd have all kinds of stuff that people just do, you know, and they say, yeah. hey, is it cool if I put up a mural here? And whoever lives there would be like, all right, let's let's get a consensus on this, you know, and then you know, and they could decide how they want to draw flowers or weird freaks, because <laughs> right, right. we're kind of both into both, you know, like yeah, <laughs> weird freaks and a bed of flowers, you know. <laughs> Just like what if you draw uh, freaks with flower crowns? That'd be cool. Yeah, right. <laughs> it'd be great, and they'd be like, "Oh, actually, yeah, I was thinking I could do it with a kind of a, you know. <laughs> yeah." So that'd be that'd be great, and then like, I was thinking about um, we could basically, obviously, obviously, the most obvious application for libraries is this kind of stuff, um, especially for in to, to my mind when I was taking notes, reproducible stuff, right? So you can make mm-hmm. copies and distribute copies and useful mm. stuff kind of like the tool library that I never quite made use of in Seattle, but we're basically, you know, it's just like they talk about and seriously wrong all the time. You know, it's just a library of stuff that you can go and check out and use and bring it back. Um, yeah. And then there's stuff that's, that doesn't have like a use value or an exchange value, but has like uh, just a cultural value. And those would go in like a museum or a gallery that of course anybody could just walk in and be like, that's really cool, you know, and just enjoy it for free because it's just fucking there because somebody made it because they wanted to, you know, um, or they could just have it in their own home or, or just out in the street or whatever, you know, as long as it's not knocking, you know, um, 
you know, it's not like getting in the way of the streetcar or like whatever the fuck, right? But that's just up to the people in this far-flung, beautiful future. Um, and then, of course, um, another great thing about free time is that for people who are into having sex, they get to have more sex. And people who are not into <laughs> having sex, they can do all that other shit that isn't sex, you know? Um, but that it, it won't be like constantly marketed to people because obviously it's no longer commodified. And also because people will be like, well, yeah, I have sex all the time. Why would you use sex to sell, sell champagne? You know, like, <laughs> like that's absurd. You know, um, sometimes I pour champagne on my sexual partner, but sometimes whatever. Why are you saying this? You know, that champagne, I don't get it. You know? Why are all these images here? You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Personally on the, uh, on the 420-666-69 uh, uh, graph, I am full 420 and 666 and uh, 069. So <laughs> that's, that's all I'll contribute to that section. <laughs> nice, nice. And as we know, um, you know, it's, uh, it's only champagne if it comes from the champagne ecosystem. And if it's not from that ecosystem, <laughs> it's just, it's just uh, you know, Evian or something. All right, so the last one we have is uh, the ecosystem. Champagne um, ecosystem. We've talked about this a lot, so we can go through kind of quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, uh, yeah, obviously public spaces will be built to uh, like accommodate the ecosystem because we have to coexist with it. We can't uh, beat it back or anything like that. Um, hmm? Oh, your mic isn't picking up? Oh, uh, Una's in here. <laughs> oh, up, I've got 12 minutes. I'm on break at work. Yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> you missed us talking about Kill La Kill oh, <laughs> briefly. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we're just talking about the ecosystem in an eco-communist utopia. Um, oh, cool. So, uh, what would your uh, ideal city skyline city look like in an eco-communist utopia? If you had to integrate it with the ecosystem, uh, well, I think one of the simplest things that like cities do modernly is like, you know, tram tracks don't actually have to be on pavement. Uh-huh. So you can mm-hmm. kind of, except the issue there is, of course, that it has to be like shortened so you can get mm-hmm. to that. Right. But you know, just that sort of general thing of like limiting any pavement to areas where it's absolutely necessary for like accessibility. Mm-hmm. So basically yeah. just have the entire city just be a forest with trails. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I have this vision as well and I want it so bad. <laughs> trails with ramps mm-hmm. that don't necessarily mm-hmm. have to be concrete. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, they don't actually yeah. have to be concrete at all, and they should not be concrete. Yeah, right. <laughs> it should be like smoothly interlacing root systems, just, you know, that just create yeah. giant mushrooms. And giant mushrooms. <laughs> they sort of bounce a little bit as you use them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you jump on them and they propel you high into the air, and then you, <laughs> yeah. uh, you can just move left or right on the screen. Um, yeah. You know, in midair, just by bending your legs in that direction. (laughs) It's all about aerodynamics. Um, (laughs) I mean, it is a utopia. That's funny because that was actually the first point that we had in this uh, notes section was like, 
uh, street cars instead of mm-hmm. uh, cars, you know, private uh, cars or whatever. Automobiles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, and another another thing I would say is uh, designing for the solar envelope, which basically means like taking into account which direction the sun is at various parts of the day uh, and uh, year and making sure that everyone gets enough sunlight. Well, what I'd so want to see you know, is, I, like, yeah. integration of the solar envelope with, like, canopies. Yeah. Yes. Which, I think, generally speaking, the issue with all of this is the fact that cities, if we view cities as, like, what they are now, they're essentially, you know, density of concrete rather than density of people. Mm-hmm. Whereas, mm-hmm. like... Yeah. Yep. economically speaking the point of them is to be density of people so if we're going to continue that which i don't see a reason why not necessarily speaking fuck you bookchin um <laughs> it, disease <laughs> yeah but like i feel like we got over that a few thousand years ago <laughs> but like we should really focus more on like how to integrate a significant amount of people with an ecosystem rather than a significant infrastructure with the ecosystem and then just sort of work from there yeah like the ecosystem yeah. doesn't have to be like destroyed by the infrastructure it could really you know work well with it in a sense yeah i, I definitely say there's like a you know, from going to NOLA that one time in my entire life, the fact that, like, the streetcars just, like, don't give a shit that people are in the way and just sort of wait for people to move, like, that sort mm-hmm. of thing would definitely... Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Yeah, because, yeah. like, especially if you consider, like, if you actually have an ecosystem, then there's going to be, mm-hmm. you know, fauna. And, mm-hmm. you know, rather than, oh, shit, the, the light rail hit another deer... Like we'd get up here mm-hmm, in the Midwest, mm-hmm. it's much yeah. preferable to like the oh, there's a slight delay because there's like yeah. a bunch of deer on the track, which is fine because you know rather than mm-hmm. having a system that requires you know absolute punctuality, you kind of just have to work with yeah exactly what's there at the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because See course- what you all about Hitler, but he did run over all the deer. God. <laughs> oh my god, those weren't deer. Fuck. Um, Jesus. <laughs> Bringing it down with a Hitler joke. Damn. <laughs> Every damn time. He, he poured a lot of concrete. We're having, so. We're having, yeah, right. He was a real concrete freak. That, that Hitler. No, that, that's the typical American thing. <laughs> Say what you want about Hitler, but he poured a shit ton of concrete building roads that weren't even his idea. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be like, wait, isn't, yeah, true, isn't yeah. that bad? <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so this is weird. You also hit on our next point, which was uh, deer. Uh, mm-hmm. So Chris wrote in here uh, about Nara Deer Park in Japan, where the deer are friendly and will bow oh, to yeah. you. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's so awesome. You bow yeah. and they bow back, and it's so fucking good. <laughs> <laughs> um. There's uh there's also a group of deer in the Scottish Highlands that I have met uh, that are friendly and they will let you feed them breadsticks and the oh, uh, the main yes. buck of the group is named Lefty because he's blind in one eye. <laughs> I love Radical. It. 
Uh, yeah, there's a video of me feeding yeah. the the deer breadsticks. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh no, my thing about deer, right? Uh, you get a lot of jokes mm-hmm. about the fact that deer are scared of people walking or biking, but not of cars, mm-hmm. which isn't true at all. Mm-hmm. Because uh, you know, obviously, they understand that cars will fucking murder them, just like people understand that. <laughs> but the point is, uh, when you're in the dark, and you know, usually deer are when they're around where cars are, it's the dark because they don't really Mm -hmm. want to be around people. Uh, A car isn't really an object in the dark. It is a bright spotlight, a la the fucking rapture. So you can imagine, like, how they don't really see that as so much a threat as just like, ah, shit, the world's ending. Yeah. Which... And also, like, if you're running around at night, then you have night vision and then all of a sudden you get blasted in the eyes by some car headlights right. which like like you can't see shit <laughs> me as a human commuting home at night i get that same fucking issue because it's not like mm-hmm. it's that dark along the road i walk down but people have their brights on because there's trees so it's got to be dark duh and, right mm-hmm. you know it's just very difficult you know from like a social or ecological perspective to interact with things like that because you cannot see. Like, the only thing in yeah. that area that can see is the thing producing the light. So it kind of dominates via light pollution, which I think is kind of wild. Light is status. D- truly. <laughs> yes, basically. <laughs> I, that kind of light. Yeah, I feel anyway. like, you know, light yeah. pollution is kind of yeah. overlooked in that since, you know, it, it does create a very yeah. unnatural base level. Which, mm-hmm. you know... Yeah, I want to be able to see the fucking stars, damn. Right. Yeah, that would be nice. Which, of course, mock me all you want for moving to fucking L.A. where I'm never going to see them again. But... <laughs> <laughs> well, but, you'll you see know. a different kind, which is way better. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I love uh, parasocial relationships. <laughs> you could be, be, be parasocial friends with Jeremy Renner. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Camp out on the hills with your with your you know face to the parasocial relations. Right. But like, I think that's a much bigger concern than when people are like, "Oh, shiny building make birds do dead," and like, right, I mean, right. I mean, you know, yeah, sure, glass causes reflections and it confuses animals sometimes. But like, I feel like that's really just a drop in the pond of the amount of confusing shit we do as an infrastructure. Like, mm. say, the PLSS is really fucking cool when it comes to how to divvy up more land than you could ever use to people that want to use it all for some reason. And, like, mm. you know, there's that. But it doesn't really make sense on a natural level to, like, oh, you want to go one town over. Well, you actually have to go two towns over because you have to go through this other town because they're all at 90-degree angles. Yeah. So, you know, it's just ant paths. We should copy ants. That's my point there. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let's see. We have this holy shit, but what about section? Uh, Chris, you put that in, I think. Yeah, yeah. I I just was like, um, I know that obviously this yeah, this is kind of just like getting into like of course there's complexity and of yeah. course there's exceptions and like not everything there's not there's not going to be uniform utopian communities um 
And so this is the sort of thing where sometimes what we're I'm all thinking, wearing uniforms right, in the future, right, and we right, all do the same thing all day. We pulled the same lever yep. in a giant machine. I feel like you didn't really talk <laughs> about Kill La Kill. <laughs> but, but, he, he mentioned but it. We, we were talking about fashion and how we're all going to wear penis gourds instead of having uh, oh, fashion because modesty is fascist. You come on my podcast and talk about Kill La Kill. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Ryan, sounds like you got a new job. Yeah. <laughs> but go on about Congrats, this man. thing that we were you. talking about that I already forgot about. Uh, no, no, just like, just like you know, there there won't be uniformity. Like this is the very definition of ecology, right? Like you're you're responding to what's around you, and so I was thinking about like things that I've had doubts about in the past, and also things that I'm I've either hired or that like I pr- I probably will hear from people if I ever bring this up to them about how this could work. They'd be like, well, you know. Like, what about, like, living on an island? What about living in a desert? What about living in a... You know? And, like, of course it won't be fucking uniform. People will respond to their, you know, their environments to get what they need, but the pro- the, the, the principles abide. You know? Um, the principles... Right. And ecology the, and the, isn't the uniform, modes. so the way that you deal with ecology necessarily... This is... Right, uniform. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and, like, I think the other thing, which is my third section there, really... Is, is another way which people sort of tend to object is just like the transitional concerns, which is like, well, that's also something that you'll just kind of have to solve as you come to it, right? Like, how do you ensure optimal? What I say to that is, uh, forget about well, it. Japan thing where they just burn <laughs> no. down entire neighborhoods and rebuild them. <laughs> yeah. Or the Chinese thing where they just build an entire new city and then everyone just moves into it well, later. We could do, <laughs> we could do both. Like just build the new city, have yeah. people move there, then rip down the old one and rebuild it. Easy peasy. Yeah. Yeah. It's like uh, yeah. your standard <laughs> like, sorting algorithm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's basically it's basically um, in uh, in uh, is it OG where the where the central shinto uh, shrine is and like they basically once they're finished building the one they they start building the next one and then like when that's done being built then they tear down the, the old one yes and they just keep doing that i gotta yeah. go back to work just now. do that Fuck. oh no. okay we'll have fun oh i will later <laughs> bye bye <laughs> so um I mean, we're yeah. So that that was an appropriate timing because we're about to wrap up anyway. Um, but yes. basically, um, a couple more questions I just have here, which like I think are worth thinking about when we think about um, how do we get from hell to utopia? You know, and we are in hell. Um, it, you know, you've got your how do we ensure optimal outcomes across all these various diverse regions and, and ecosystems? Like, how do we how do we make sure that, that the best things can happen for people? Again, I don't know. And I don't know is the answer to all these, basically. But like obsolete and possibly dangerous structures and infrastructures. Again, this is transitional. So like, what do we do about like the fucking depleted uranium? Old nuclear reactors. Or, exactly, exactly. Right, the classic yeah. example, uh, or or like the the Pacific uh, plastic gyre thing. You know, like um, yeah. all, all these things that are like the, the relics of um, especially capitalism, but also some other things. Um, uh, also, how you know once we get to or as we go to utopia, how do we try new things? Uh, how do we de- deal with innovation, um, actual innovation, um, even as we're embracing more caution and more um, you know um, uh, 
uh, you know, social justice and stuff like that. Like, how do we yeah. decide that we're going to do one thing instead of the old thing? Um, I think that's more of like going to be like a tech ethics kind of question uh, as much as anything else. Um, also, things like fuel use and also the use of other risky materials um, along the way, like what's what's acceptable, what's preferable. Um, and then I think questions of trade as what I was thinking specifically with this one is like as different parts of the world approach, hopefully approach this kind of, you know, utopian eco-communist sort of world um, or, or, or mode and other places don't go mm-hmm. as quickly, you know, or they do it in, in, in a different way, right? They morph in a different way toward the same goal um, so that like, these are all still diverse places. They're all still imperfect, right? All this stuff. Like, how do they deal with questions of trade and, and say, inter-regional relations um, as they all kind of ramshackle build up towards something better, you know? And I think that's just, again, that's just something. Yeah, how do I get a freaking banana, man? Yeah, right, right. If we're, like, not, if we're not forcing Guatemalans to grow them for me. <laughs> exa- exactly. Like, you know, if they have if they have more bananas than they need, then we can still trade, but it's just going to be a question of, like, how do you do that? Um, yeah. Conscionably, you know? Um, and I think this is just, I just want us, you know, you and me, but also all our listeners to, like, kind of meditate on all these questions of, like, that transitional um, set of concerns, how we go yeah. from here to what we what we dream of every day you know yeah i think that's a good spot to end it so uh if you enjoyed this episode check out our other episodes at neighborsciencepodcast.com give us a review in itunes because it helps people discover the show we have a mm-hmm. patreon uh, patreon.com slash neighbor science uh, we have some bonus audio uh for our non-time sensitive uh two-part episodes i'm going to be starting to do early release on Mm -hmm. the second parts uh for some of those Mm -hmm. uh so you'll be able to hear both parts of our episodes right away um and that's at any any patreon tier um we have a teespring so if you want to get a shirt uh then we have those on there i still have to make time to uh put up stickers and the new shirt design idea that i have but uh yeah i'll do that eventually uh yeah i think that's it yeah right i think that's everything all right thanks for listening bye bye nice 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 nice. yeah that was a fun one i think that was way lighter and just like 